This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Over the next few weeks, we're bringing you a series of podcast episodes with the Simmons brothers, Tim and Matt, who are church planters in Manchester and Amsterdam. And Tim and Matt are discussing some of the mistakes that they've made along the way as they've church planted. At the start of the episode, Tim and Matt will introduce the series a little bit more. And you can find the full notes on everything that they're talking about at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 123. So here are Tim and Matt Simmons. Well, welcome to the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Uh, We are going to run a series of podcasts uh, around the idea of the mistakes that we make in church planting. Um, And we were thinking that actually we often talk about good things you can do as a church planter, great ideas and all that stuff's really useful. But sometimes the the biggest points of learning uh, can be in making mistakes. Um, So um, me, my name is Tim Simmons. Uh, and uh, my brother, Matt Simmons, uh, are going to talk through some of these ideas. So I am based at Christchurch in Manchester. Uh, I've planted uh, two churches as part of a, a multi-site church there at uh, Christchurch in Manchester. One we started about 10 years ago, another one we started about uh, three years ago. Um, and it's a church of now six uh, Sunday meetings with over 300 people in. Uh, Matt, my brother, um, moved to Amsterdam about four years ago. Uh, to plant a church with his family um, and uh, did differently for me. So I started in a church that already existed and planted different sites. Matt uh, went on his own with a, a team of about, what, 10, 15 of you? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, about, about 10 adults. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And then planted. And now there's uh, how many adults have you got now, four years later? Um, on a Sunday, it would be about 120, 130 adults. Yeah. And how many kids? You've got loads of kids. Yeah, 35, 40 kids. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we... That, we that's were, the whole church, not just me, by the way. <laughs> well, there are times I wonder. Yeah. And so I guess we want to really think about the mistakes that we've made as, as planters. Um, and our context of Manchester and Amsterdam are a bit similar in a funny way. European cities, um, quite culturally dynamic, um, very liberal lefty. Um, as well as kind of a, both of them have a history of um, political activism and radical thinking. So I think that they're really interesting places to plant churches in. Um, and the sort of people that you get through there, lots of young people, uh, very driven by universities and millennials. Um, so um, very interesting places. So I thought it'd be really helpful to think about the mistakes that we have made in our church plants and in our church planting journeys and how they have helped us actually. Um, and what we have learned about them. Uh, and today, for, for the first one, uh, I wanted to think about this idea that I had when I had started. Um, and I was kind of listing all the mistakes I made uh, when I was thinking about this podcast. And I had far too many of them to be comfortable. But the one that really leapt out at me to start with was the sense that when I began, I thought I knew exactly what I was doing before I'd started. So in my head, I had a clear idea of the sort of church I wanted. And I knew what I was doing. Uh, and 
And I felt like now, because I was planting, actually, I should go and do it and do it in isolation, I suppose. Uh, and so the mistake that I want to look at this week is I know what I'm doing. And uh, and I think uh, I'm just going to keep talking and you can interrupt, Matt, when you want. But I think um, for me that it started with uh, thinking about church plant is uh, I had a clear vision for what I wanted and I had some confidence as well. And both those words are very positive. Uh, to have vision and to be confident. But in reality, if you'd have had a sat and had a conversation with me, you'd have realized that having a vision was not very far away from being a bit of a daydreamer and being confident wasn't far off just being a bit arrogant. Um, and there was probably a big crossover there. Um, but as I've reflected on that, I think actually I'm not sure there's any other way I could have actually got started um, by by being a bit arrogant, by thinking, actually, I can do this and I might be able to do it better than other people. And I know what I'm doing. Uh, and if I hadn't have thought those things, because I'm English, I kind of talk myself out of stuff. Uh, if I'd have thought, actually, in reality, I don't know what I'm doing, then I'd have never done it. Um, and so for me, I think that actually the early years of church planting is is more of a developmental journey for the planter and their family or their core group, but definitely the planter than it is about actually planting the church and even how you help that city. Um, so I was wondering, Matt, for you, what you found, where you found the line between your own kind of vision and confidence and actually between being that and just young and arrogant and a bit of a daydreamer or whether that was just me. Yeah, I, I would imagine that's probably true of most people that do something like this when it comes to church planting is I remember, I remember before we moved another guy who planted church sort of 10, 15 years before who I spoke to, he said, Matt, you've got to realize that you're an idiot. Like to, to plant a church, there's an element of stupidity around it because if you were to sit and conduct a bunch of market research to launch a new product, you know, the question you'd ask is, is there a, is there a market for this? Does anybody want a church in your city? And, um, you know, in cities like we're reaching Amsterdam and Manchester, that's that's not the kind of overwhelming thing that people are looking for. So he said to, you know, to, to try and launch something that kind of goes against what people are actually wanting is there's an element of kind of lunacy. You know, if you were launching a new product, it would be a bit crazy, really. So there's definitely that that element to it. Um, I mean, that was definitely true for me that I, I couldn't distinguish between that line. I'm not sure I even really thought about it in terms of am I being confident or arrogant? You just kind of get on with it, really. And it's only then God begins to reveal things in your heart and you think, oh, yeah, maybe that was just a bit of arrogance. Yeah. So, I mean, I wrote a 15 year plan of what <laughs> I wanted to do. <laughs> 15 year strategic plan of what I wanted the church to look like. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. We're on track. So <laughs> <laughs> that's more luck than judgment, right? <laughs> totally. When I started, um, we, we kind of did it. We didn't, we, I didn't plan one week to the next. We just um, got started. And because uh, I joined Christchurch Manchester, which is led by a guy called Colin Barron and Colin just said, uh, my plan was to, to wait a year and and work out the city. And Colin just said, get on with it. Um, but we started uh, our first one in um, a bar in Fallowfield, a very studenty area. It was a vodka bar. 
and we put on the we put on flyers that we were giving away free vodka at the church and just which is that's a uh, yeah clearly was not yeah that weren't bright but um we i actually i was so confident and in myself in what i wanted to do that uh, i wouldn't let colin who led the church um i wouldn't let him come to the meetings i said you can't come to our sunday meetings um, because I, I was, I wanted to work it out on my own and I didn't want anyone else there. And so, and, to, and actually to his credit, he didn't turn up for six months. Um, and, uh, I, years later, he was told me that if he'd have had a dog, he'd have kicked it. I, he was that annoyed with me, but he decided actually, uh, if in six months, Tim's planted a really good church in that time, then fine, everybody wins. Um, but if, as is most likely to happen, he doesn't get very far, then he'll be desperate for the help. And uh, actually, by the time he did turn up, I was desperate for the help. Um, but I really, that was, yeah, what your mate is saying, really, that I knew nothing, but I thought I knew everything. Yeah, I think yeah. one of the things I realised quite quickly is that as a church planter, you're, you're not, you can't do it self-sufficiently. You just, you don't have the resources to do it by yourself, despite what your vision and your plans tell you, you kind of, you know, particularly if you're starting out for the first time, you need wisdom and help and support and advice. Um, but you're, you're kind of, I guess I'm probably a bit like you. I would have a kind of daydreamy attitude, which doesn't, doesn't require anybody else to input into. So you can, you can drive off in one direction and actually you need people to help you <laughs> figure out where on earth you're going and what you're doing for sure. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, I think it's a funny thing because you would never, uh, you'd never put this on the advertisement if you were a pl if you put a job advert out for more church planters, you you wouldn't put it on the kind of the prospectus for it. Um, but actually, it the church plant is the greatest thing for working out character and maturity. Um, because I mean, I knew for me at the church I was in before I moved to Manchester, I, I would watch the 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 guy who led the church and his team. And uh, I mean, they were, they did a great job in, in lots of different ways, but I would always be thinking, yeah, I wouldn't do it like that. I'd do it like this. Or yeah, I'm not convinced you're pastoring right. Or I would do the preaching different, or I would do these things different. And, um, and it isn't until you actually have to do those things that you work out what you're wrong about. And sometimes what you're right about, but mainly what you're wrong about. Um, and it's just a, a fascinating process to, to go through in a funny way because it totally exposes you. Uh, and I don't know if you found this, but I, I found the good ideas that I thought I had were exposed as ridiculous, often really very quickly. Um, and even the the kind of the, the idealized daydreamy view of church planting. So I think at the time I was planting, there were some pretty big influential American preachers who would preach in a certain quite aggressive style, quite confrontational Um and everybody loved it at the time. And so you think, oh, OK, that's what I'll do to grow the church. But uh, it, you realize that works for 4000 people on a podcast, but it doesn't work for 10 people in a bar on a Sunday evening, uh, all of whom are just there because they're your mates and to, to bail you out and nothing more. Was, uh, that, was that your lowest number? Ten? No, no, no. My lowest number was. I think I had a six one evening. Oh, we, we had seven, so you've beaten me there. I remember preaching to seven people. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, the week we had six, I just bought everyone a drink and sacked it off. <laughs> I, just, I mean, it was it was too emba- I was too embarrassed to stand in front of people. Oh, I went for it anyway. Oh, did you? <laughs> kind of thinking, this is only one more person than in my entire family, and yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a funny. Yeah, that, yeah, that that is a actually that's probably one of the most sobering things you can do, isn't it? When you spend six or seven hours prepping a sermon, and then there's only a half a dozen people there <laughs> nothing humbles you more than that yeah good grief so yeah I, what were the what were the for you what were the kind of reality bite points when you realized actually i i'm i need help uh, or, or I, i'm not on the right path i, I need people well, i think probably one of the big ones was um i think probably a realization maybe a year 18 months into being there that we we'd done quite a lot and taken some steps, but it didn't really feel like we'd taken a lot of ground. Um, and, and I was, I was, I think I probably blamed it on all sorts of external factors like, well, this isn't working because of this reason we had these hard pastoral things going on and this has happened and that's happened. And it's been tough and it was tough, you know, setting our kids into a new school in a new country and all of that. But I remember um, Joel Virgo, who leads the church in Brighton where we moved from and has been really helpful in kind of guiding us and leading us through this journey. He kind of sat me down and we had one of those conversations where he very graciously and gently pointed out to me that perhaps the problem was with me and not with the rest of the church and the rest of society and the rest of the world that perhaps the reason the church wasn't growing was because I needed to grow up a bit. Um, and that was kind of a real sobering moment of, of oh, goodness. In, in, in one hand, the, the church growth is nothing to do with me. You know, you have to get to that point where you realize this is kind of impossible. You know, I, I can't, I need God. I can't do it myself. But at the same time, a realization that, that some, I just wasn't leading very well in the areas I needed to be. And I needed someone from outside to to kind of soberly come in and say, why are you doing that? And why are you not doing this? And, you know, speak the truth in love and kind of give me a kick up the backside. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. The, the idea of uh, in those early years, what how you process what is happening in your church plant or in your efforts, because. Those first, anytime you read a missionary book, uh, Vicky, my wife, always says that the missionary books are all the same. First five years is a nightmare. Second five years, it starts to grow. Then you get up to date where something amazing's happened. That's why they get to write a book. Um, and actually, you need it, and you know that's largely true in kind of church planting. The first extended period of time can be a couple of years, especially if you go abroad. I think that's a longer period of time than if you're planting in your own culture. Um, it is just is working out a lot of the difficulties and how you process that is whether it's everybody else's or, or whether actually it's to do with you is fascinating. I had a conversation with one of our guys just the, the other day when uh, he got an email from someone saying, oh, we're, we're going to a different church. And there were loads of reasons they decided to, to move on. Um, and the conversation we had is actually how important it is to be honest about why these things happen. Uh, and numbers of times I'll talk to church planters and any the reason anybody leaves or anything happens is it's either very spiritual or it's someone else's fault 
and actually the, the, the journey of actually, you know, I've done these things wrong. Um, now, equally, you can't you beat yourself up the whole time. You're just going to be depressed. So, you know, you have to be real about the fact sometimes it's not your fault yeah. as well. Um, yeah. So the, the, uh, the involvement of a coach um, you've found to be uh, very useful. What, how, would you, how would you describe what a, a coach is to you? Yeah, I guess I, I don't think I really had one person who said, you know, I'm, I'm your church planting coach or that I kind of appointed as my church planting coach. And I know some people would would really, I think that's an important thing. I just didn't quite have the language around it to, to talk about it like that. And I probably had more of kind of a number of people that I would turn to and say, what do I do about this and how do I process that? But particularly being part of a, a kind of a cohort of family of churches doing something together means that it kind of happens a bit more naturally anyway because we're quite relationally driven. So it just it just kind of made sense for me to talk to Joel because that's just yeah. we're relationally connected as well as kind of in a more formal leadership way connected. Um I mean, I think it, it to have a it takes some humility. I think that's probably the thing that church planters need to get their heads around. Is that often people plant churches because they've got a dissatisfaction with what they've seen before. You know, so my idea is better than what anybody else has ever done, yeah. or, or anything I've ever experienced anyway. So they but and then you can quite easily then think, well, then I don't need anybody's help because my idea is the best. Yeah. So I think you kind of have to kill that off any sense of dissatisfaction with what you've had before and know actually there's there's thousands and thousands of other church partners and church leaders that have been through exactly the same challenges and experiences and there's nothing unique that you can bring. So I kind of had to get to the point of I don't think I really was carrying any particular past dissatisfaction in that sense but I had to very quickly just humbly think, no, I need these, I need help here. So quite early on, we had a big pastoral challenge that arose probably about three or four months in that I was suddenly aware, my goodness, I'm completely out of my depth here. Like I just can't handle this. I'm just, I've never, I've never had to handle anything like this before. I don't know what to do. And that was a, that was a real, God really blessed us in that, in that it, it, I, I knew straight away I had to pick up the phone and ask for help um, because I was out of my depth. I think if you don't realise that, that's probably where God takes you quite quickly is that place of, goodness, I'm going I'm to need a coach here because I'm going to, you know, I could like to think that you, you know, you could think of church planting as you get thrown in the deep end, whether you like it or not. And the sooner you realise that, that you're out of your depth and you need some help, the better really. Yeah. I mean, the idea of a coach is quite interesting, um, and uh, I wonder if it's quite a, a, an American kind of concept, of like language, the coach person. Um, yeah. But I think um, I, I wonder, as you're talking, what the line is between, uh, like in a business, you get in a consultant, you pay for their time, it's pretty dispassionate, um, and then they're gone, uh, or or someone who's got some kind of is known by lots of other people, is known by your church uh, and has almost a little bit more of authority. Uh, and I wonder whether it's 
I always think of the, some of the guys that kind of look after us or some of the people that look after us that, um, that actually if my church wanted to, they could complain to that person about me as well. That, it, there's that kind of uh, dynamic there as well. So yeah. I, I wonder how you, if, if whether you found that to be the case as well, whether that was true for you. What, that people have someone to complain to about me? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. No, just call my mum if they wanted to do that. You phone your mum? No, you don't want to do that. Someone with... Um, get in trouble. See, I suppose. Is there someone with authority there, or are they just there to bounce ideas off? There's a, a line, fine line between a, someone who's a sounding board who you can ignore, or someone who's, you know, kind of a, you recognise as being a little bit over and above you, if that makes sense. No, I know exactly what you mean, yeah, because some, some of the language around a coach, you can then think of like kind of a life coach, you yeah. know, someone, you know, people use language like a kind of spiritual counsellor, you know, someone that guides you along the journey. And I think it really, you're right, it needs to be more than that. It's it's somebody that, that does have a bit of a kind of apostolic authority in one sense to be able to say, um, you know, this, you're doing the wrong thing here. Um, and to be able to speak quite openly into your life and into the church, not in an authoritarian or dictatorial kind of way, yeah. and def- definitely with some standing as an outsider wanting to kind of influence and shape what you're doing rather than dictate what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You do need that kind of level of, oh, goodness, you know, I'm not even sure if, if I agree, but this guy has some authority here. So I'm going to, I'm going to pay attention because he's been around the block a few more times than me and God's put him in a, in, in a position to help me and serve me. Yeah. It's authority you give them, not that they take. So yes, yeah. that, which is always the, yeah, I think it's, if someone's really apostolic is because other people have given them authority to speak uh, yeah. into them. So I remember for me, I can remember it because I, I am, um, when I pray, I'll often write out my prayers because I, struggle to concentrate so i am um, i remember praying once and i wrote it out that effectively i decided that colin barron the guy who leads our church that he was right about everything and i would listen to what he said and i wouldn't argue which i'm a simmons so if you're listening to this podcast you don't know uh, the simmons then we just argue that's you know and, and assume that everybody else is wrong that's probably the bigger thing so uh, so actually it was a real point of i think it was about a year 18 months in may have been sooner i can't remember we went I wrote, I'm, I'm fed up of kind of arguing. I'm going to, I'm going to assume that he's right until it's proved otherwise. So, um, and so I guess I gave him authority to, to, to help me not make that mistake anymore that I know what I'm doing. Um, and just finally, just before we finish, um, it's one of those mistakes that, uh, I think everybody kind of does it. Uh, and you tend towards it when you're younger, I suppose. Uh, and I guess, cause we're both, operate in cities where there are a lot of um our church my church is growing with people in the, from 18 to 30 that'll be the largest age range that is growing in so how do we help young people or that millennials that age range as they do exactly the same thing as us so i know that people who've looked after me the ones that have been good who've seen me make that mistake and helped me to do better and the ones that haven't helped me have kind of told me off and shut me down um so how do we how do we do that? How do we help those that are younger to make the same mistake and learn in the same way? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good question. And it's a, yeah, one I'm probably still trying to work out really. I think you, you do have to, to give people enough space to 
to, to make the mistakes, really. And I think, because in some sense, someone was asking me this the other day, you know, they asked me, you know, what would you say to yourself if you could go back five years? And I think in my kind of darker moments, I probably would go back and say, don't do it. <laughs> Stop before it's too late. Um, or at least give myself quite a robust warning. But then I, don't, I wouldn't have listened to myself five years ago. <laughs> So you'd be in the, it's a bit like in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, isn't it? When they go back to themselves and have to give themselves a warning. Like I wouldn't know what on earth it was. I'd be like, who are you? You look like me, but you're talking nonsense. So I'll ignore you. And so I think you, you have to kind of let young leaders, I guess, carry that. If it is an arrogance to kind of carry that a little bit. And because and, the only way they'll learn what it is, is by falling over. And it doesn't mean you just leave them up to their own devices and don't, try and guide them through it. But yeah, as I, said, I just don't think I would have listened to myself. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have listened to someone else or something like that. In fact, people probably did try and tell me. I just, <laughs> I can't even remember now. Just ignore them. Yeah. So I guess there's a, a grace and mercy that we wanted ourselves that we have to extend to others. And I guess it's that point when they do, if and when it goes wrong, I mean, it's the other side of it. They could be young, arrogant, yeah brilliant uh, and that would be annoying though wouldn't it yeah it would be deeply frustrating. <laughs> deeply frustrating but i guess it's then when it does go wrong to not so much say i told you so but help them grow in that and learn in that yeah okay well that's really interesting so the first mistake we've looked at uh, is that i know what i am doing and that actually it's a mistake that you kind of have to make and it's a journey that as a planter, you you have to go through that in your first few years to realise that you don't know everything, um, and, or at least you don't know as much as you thought you did, and you need other people. And then thinking, how do we help others uh, through that same journey as well? Uh, okay, so thanks very much, Matt. We'll we'll finish it there, and we will be back again uh, next week. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Tim and Matt said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 123. And we'll be back next week with another church planting mistake. See you next time.